I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Pelzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube, Wednesday edition, my favorite show of the week, Sam, because we just get to ramble about whatever we want and whatever the people want because we answer the mailbag. Yeah, mailbag show. Uh, no, I'm, i got to finish tweeting this out. No oh, idea yeah? what Perfect. we are this talking about. This is good, good radio, about good podcasting. Tweeted and <sighs> sent. So, yeah, I'm excited. We're going to do some explain the grade. Yeah. There were questions about uh, PFF grade. We're going to have some explanations Question. there. Questions from some very important people. Um, yeah, we can't, no, we can't disclose exactly no, how God, no. or whatever. We might hint at it later. We'll, I'll, I'll drop hints at it later. But people around the league ask questions. How about that? Yeah. People around the league. Important sources, people. Important people. Rich people. Yeah, rich maybe even people. billionaires. Uh, I'm not saying we're going to answer those directly. God, no. You know, but I'm just saying people ask about the grades uh-huh. all over. And um, we'll get into some Discord question of the week. Mm-hmm. We've got that good stuff going. Go to the Discord. The link is in the description of the show. Sign up. Come chat. Come hang. Uh, Come ask questions because we'll be using them on the show. The one other thing, too. So you mentioned yesterday, are we up for an award potentially? Yes. How does this thing work? So we have been invited to apply uh, to submit our podcast for the Sports Podcasting Awards of some description. Uh, I should really find out who they are when I'm talking about this. But anyway... You know, you get a lot of information, and one of the things we need to do is submit clips up to five minutes long of, like, our best stuff, right? Like, what are the best clips yeah. of the PFF NFL podcast? So the judging panel, whoever that is, can get an idea of why we're amazing. Plus um, full episodes, right? So, so I've few- already – it's you, you submit one full episode. I've, I've, you know, just sent an episode. Uh, but you also then submit three clips of, like, your best stuff up to five minutes. One of them I've already submitted. It was the – uh, crazy Chandler Jones Raiders pick six thing from a year ago where we ranted about that for a while. That was funny. Um, but there are did two you more. Did you cut my part out of that or did you just do your part on that? No, no, I, I gave it pretty much five minutes worth. It was longer than five minutes in totality, but got I made it, okay. sure we're both in there. Just curious. Uh, so that's one clip, but we got two more clips that we need. So we need our listeners to submit uh, clips like what what are the best five minutes of this show that you can think of and where are they and let us go clip it and, and submit it so nfl podcast at pff.com with some kind of clip podcast awards yada yada subject title um and if somebody sends a particularly awesome one we will give them a free year of pff plus did you know to go to that chandler jones clip because someone sent it in today someone emailed it in uh, no, someone had already, the Discord had already suggested that as a really good clip. Oh, okay, so maybe that's good, what the It's a good thing that multiple people have come to that conclusion. It suggests that it is the right clip to say. I, that is one thing I don't, there's, every now and again, I feel like we have a, a good exchange. Mm. Fun little exchange or whatever, something I want to remember. And I have no idea where to find it. We should probably send in me pitching to you. Maybe. Or something, right? Like Sorry, that, is that, I mean, that wasn't part of the podcast. Kind of it is. That, well, it didn't go, because this, this appears to be... Appears to be audio centric. I see. Um, okay. okay. So that I don't think ever appeared. Maybe did it, did we bolt that onto the back end of an episode, or did it just? Oh, go? I think we did. Yeah. But it wouldn't have gone an audio. It would have just been the video it was, on YouTube. It was 
probably on audio too. I don't remember. That but can't anyway. have been good listening. <laughs> no, yeah, maybe that's just not the best. endless sounds of nothing. You're right. Might not be the best representation yeah. of us. But yeah, let us know. I mean, I'm um, and someone else sent in. 2019 exploding whale game that's a good one i haven't listened to that yeah. back but that feels like it should be a good one that was the saints, saints falcons was that the original exploding yes. whale game yeah the falcons were the original exploding whale team so that was yeah because the falcons were uh a once great behemoth or whatever you you say right mm -hmm. and then they came back they were terrible in 2019 and then yeah. they exploded on the saints boom that's what they did yeah i never got my exploding whale hat from those uh that minor league baseball well team. you never flew up to throw the that's first true pitch. i never did that either but they were supposed to send me out a hat at one point and that never seemed to happen well maybe next year they <laughs> need to do more exploding whale games yes anyway nfl podcast <laughs> at pff.com send us what you think is the best five minutes we have um and ideally a link and a timestamp or whatever so we can actually find it uh and if you know if we pick that we'll give you a free year of pff plus in addition to helping us potentially win an award. Yeah, awesome. And then we'll all be award winners. Yeah, we'll all be. Yeah, it's, I mean, when we win this award. Oh. When? We're all winners. I don't think that's the way that's you're all. supposed to do that, is it? You're supposed to like quiet confidence. Not oh, like, oh, yeah, that's, that's <coughs> some humility. Yeah. God willing. We don't we like, I mean, if you're, assuming you're not Joe Namath, which last time I checked you weren't, uh, you don't go broadcasting the idea that you're going to win the big game before the big game. I mean, maybe I was guaranteeing Can-Am League championships back in 05 and 07 when we won. Yeah. You don't know. I don't. You didn't hear what I was saying to the press? No, certainly didn't. Those years. There was press? Yeah. I actually got a funny story about that. <laughs> we were young and immature. Yeah. In 2007, the local beat writer for the Nashua Pride right. picked against us in the finals. Yeah. The local newspaper guy. Sure. And it's like, dude, nope. why would you pick against the hometown team? So we got mad. We were upset. And, uh, you know, during the celebration, may have uh, dumped some alcoholic beverages on him. He was upset because <laughs> he had to drive home. Yeah. Smelling like alcohol. Smelling like beer. That's got to suck. Yeah. Beer yeah. and champagne. That's not He nice. was very upset. And we said, well, you shouldn't have picked, shouldn't have picked North Shore in five. Yeah. You know, you should have picked the pride. Joke's on you. You learned your lessons. Uh -huh. So uh, we were young and immature. It wasn't me specifically. You know, it was my teammates. But we all learn, just like as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides a one easy, one-stop shop for your family's financial needs. Don't worry about it. Offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. There's flexible policies that fit your family and your budget like a million dollars of coverage in less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. And you can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting health questions. All right, man, where do you want to go with this beautiful Wednesday episode? Well, first email in uh, came from somebody called MC. Uh, at least he signs off MC. I forget what his actual name was in the email, but anyway. Uh, hi, guys. I think I have an answer for the la largest animal that Steve could fight unarmed. The answer is a mid-sized female panda. 
female pandas range in weight from 150 to 270 pounds. Pandas are pretty chill creatures. Steve's size advantage, plus the element of surprise, might let you choke the panda out. I'm not saying he would win 100% of the time, but I think he'd have a shot. Then he supplied a YouTube video of a, a panda... Essentially, a guy jumped the fence into a zoo enclosure and went to, like, pet the panda. And the panda took this as an opportunity to take to have a jiu-jitsu battle with him. Oh. Like, took the single leg, went from mount, was just, like, grappling with the dude on the ground. And there's a five-minute video of some actual Brazilian jiu-jitsu expert, like, commentating on this from a technical fight perspective, you know? talking about how he's got the single leg, he's inching up, he's trying to get, you know, full mount, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know how you'd survive in a grappling encounter with a panda. Like if it was, a, you know, if it was a, a fist fight, maybe, but from the looks of it, pandas are grapplers, not strikers. Okay. So how do I approach that? Use my length advantage? Do I have the length advantage? I mean, you've got to keep it on the feet. Yeah. Keep the fight on the feet. If okay. he gets you to the ground, it looks like you're in trouble. Then I'm in trouble. She. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'll take on a female panda. Is that the next charity drive? <laughs> I'd pay for it. <laughs> How much would you? What, what's the downside here for me? It's not death, right? It's just I don't severe think, injury, perhaps. I've never, I've never heard of a panda killing somebody, but I'm sure it's possible. Okay. If we raise enough money, right? Consider it. I mean, look, if you picked out your hair for a fro, it yeah, stands why? to reason you'd fight a panda for a similar sum why of money. Why wouldn't I stop by the right. Cincinnati Zoo and take on a female panda? I think, wasn't there something recently that China is, like, recalling all of their pandas? What? They're like, yeah, because China technically, I think, owns all the pandas in the world. They, like, let, they like lease them out to people in zoos. <coughs> you can recall the pandas? I believe that's what I heard, yeah. Hmm. And look, if I heard it, it was probably on the internet, and therefore it has to be true. And coming from the Chinese government, almost certainly it's true. Wow, <laughs> we just took this, took this in a weird direction. What? Just I just, saying. you know, podcasts, when it strays into geopolitical commentary, that's when we know we've All right, uh, I'm out. Let's go. Maybe the that's the clip. All right, let's talk football. Do we have football okay, questions? Yes, here? the Discord question of the week, uh, which I think might have been the first question to come in this week. Uh, this one was from somebody called NFI. Let's hope that isn't an acronym for something terrible. Um, just watch the 30 for 30 documentary, Elway to Marino. What chances... Uh, Caleb Williams pulls an Elway and refuses to play for whoever gets the number one pick. Uh, and he also asked which quarterback is likely to be a Dan Marino, get drafted way too low, and which teams will draft a quarterback in round one. There's several questions involved in this. The only one I'm actually interested in, though, is the Caleb Williams thing, because that's now becoming a bigger and bigger topic with NIL money, all this kind of stuff. There's been quite a lot of talk about Caleb Williams essentially picking and choosing whether he's interested in coming out this year by virtue of who that team is. First of all, I believe many of those news reports, the reports, are coming from the bots. The bots? They're coming from the, not the bots, the aggregators. Okay. They're coming from your favorite football aggregator, who I did theorize on Twitter the other day. What if it's all the same person? What if they're all Ari? I did not say Ari. Other people did, though. Other people did. I did yeah. not say Ari. I just said former PFFer, Ari, huh? uh, I just said, what if it's, you know, uh, one person pulling the strings? Yeah. Pulling the be. strings. If he is, like I said this to you, I think, if it is, if one person operates every single one of those, like, aggregating, you know, reposting Twitter accounts that just troll, 
it's it's such a genius grift. I actually respect it. Oh yeah, I mean if yeah if one person's doing all that with all the random names and yeah. like the amount of money that those things were posting that they were raking in with that Twitter payment thing. If he's got six of those on the go, fair play. Yeah, good work. Fair fucks to you, as they say. My uh, okay. Uh, so a lot of the reports. I don't even want to name. Like, I don't even remember who posted them, so I won't. I won't name their names anyway because I don't remember who it was. But things like Caleb Williams wants ownership of a team. Like I don't believe any of that stuff. I mean, now, I think that might have been a thing, but that that report was several months ago. That they have subsequently changed the rules to stop that even being a question. It just popped up again. Recently, no, I know that's the thing. It was it was fairly, I think. Uh, fairly underhandedly posted as if this was a new thing like you dumbass like look what he's doing after this usc notre dame game where he was bad right and it's like now look at this self-entitled asshole asking for ownership who does he think he is and it's like well if he wanted that in the first place which is debatable he wanted it months ago before they changed the rules to make it not a thing so he doesn't want it like yesterday after off the back of a terrible performance i also that's pretty yeah pretty disingenuous and manipulative i also i just don't believe any of those reports like there's no reason to okay let's get to the original question yes can caleb williams pull an elway right and go back to school so i think historically some of the here's some of the interesting things that happened historically right eli manning or eli right eli manning was drafted by the chargers and you know he had that he was very upset he really thought they were going to not draft him he told mm-hmm. him not to and they traded him to giant for for giants legend philip rivers right who went number four overall um, people forget in 2011, Andrew Luck was supposed to be the guy that came out. It was his redshirt sophomore season, and he was destined to be the number one overall pick. We knew Andrew Luck was going to be the number one overall pick. All right, come out. It's 2011. Panthers have the pick. And he didn't. He went back to school. He went back to Stanford. Cam Newton becomes the number one overall pick. And, of course, Luck goes number one overall in 2012 to the Indianapolis Colts. So could Caleb Williams do that? Go back to school. Clearly, there's not enough NIL money to offset NFL contracts. No, you're, you're earning less, but you're earning, which is different yeah, to, to you're the earning. dynamic it used to be. And if you stay healthy, you're going to be number one And you're earning next year. millions. I mean, yeah. you're not earning, you know, you're not sort of bringing home our salaries. <laughs> I, also, I also believe that we might, I mean, look, as a society, we overrate money anyway. And every time we talk about a player's decision, we only think about it through the lens sure. of money. And some guys actually like being in college, might like being the quarterback at USC, might like actually trying to win a national championship, might like competing in the Big Ten next year and not only think about their draft status. I don't know Caleb Williams. I don't know. So could he do that? The NIL dynamic changes. It removes a variable, right, which is some of these guys have to go to the NFL because they don't have money of any description, really, theoretically, right, back before NIL, even underhand, whatever. Theoretically, there was no money there, right? right? So if they didn't have independent wealth of some description, at some point you need the payment, right? Like, like oil money. <laughs> right. So you got to jump to the NFL because, you know, you can only go on so long without that money when it's sitting there available. That t- NIL takes all that off the table, right? In theory, if you're a big college star now, you are earning to the point where you don't need to jump to the NFL to make the money, Right. Unless you've had some very bad financial decisions in your life, you're fine. You don't have to do it. So at least takes that variable off the table of, you know, this guy might want to stay in college, but he can't really afford to financially. He's got to go. Now they they can do whatever they want. Yeah. I I just don't know. 
what the team is. Like people are like, oh, if the Bears have the number one all overall pick, you might go back. Like, right. Why? Why? Just because they have a bad history of yes. But does that actually matter? Because we also could get to the end of the year, <coughs> where there's a future, there's a coaching change, you know, and, and it could be, you know, yeah, well, Lincoln be... Riley could be in the mix for the job, and it could be Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams coming in together, or Caleb Williams, you know, the Bears might go get this uh, flashy offensive coach, or they might go get Ben Johnson or something, and it's like, of course, I want to go to wherever the next hot, uh, you know, offensive coordinator. I bet Bobby Slowick's going to be the new head coach of the Bears, and of course Caleb William wants to go there. I mean, it would be, um, it would be a bad organization, not a, bad, not a team with a bad coach, right? Like if you looking at a team and you're like, this, this franchise has a, an institutional history of being a badly run franchise, and I don't see current evidence of that changing by the, the, the new people in charge, assuming they are new people, at general manager and head coach, like, that would be the reason, right? And I don't know if Chicago, if you want to put Chicago into that bucket, we, you know, Ryan Poles has made some good decisions, he's made some bad decisions. I don't know if you can sort of look at the last 20 years of Chicago history and say, <coughs> yeah, Ryan Poles is just extending this nightmare another five years, you know? Um, but, like, say Arizona, when you look at those, uh, like, the NFLPA report card things, you know, they rank really low on a bunch of those different categories, and they have a history of sort of turning over and, and mistakes and errors and like that might be a team where you look at them and say, mm, I don't know if I want to go there. Now, pe people would have said that about the Bengals, sure, a few years ago, yeah. before I mean, Joe Burrow went there. You can turn around a bad franchise, but. yeah. And I think, I, I look, I think I don't know the reasons why Eli Manning did what he did. I'm not really sure exactly why Elway did what he did, other than he just didn't want to go right. to that franchise. But there are other people who are like, of course, I want that challenge. I think the Elway one was viewed like that. They viewed the Colts as not a good franchise at the time, right? Yeah. And I don't know if Eli was just like, I want to be in New York. I want to, you know, yeah. but they didn't trust the Chargers franchise either. Um, but anyway, I, I think a lot of people are like, I want, to, I want to be the guy that turns the Bears around. Sure. I want to be the guy that turns the Browns around or the Bengals or whatever it might be. And Burrow went and did that. So I don't know. I mean, I guess there's an opportunity. For that to happen, if you're Caleb Williams, I also think, and you know, our friend Dane, Dane Brugler from the Athletic, before Caleb Williams had this horrible game against Notre Dame, was reiterating that it is—he's called it razor thin—between Caleb Williams and Drake May. There will be plenty of people who prefer Drake May to Caleb Williams. I don't think, like, even when Trevor Lawrence came out, and Trevor Lawrence was called the generational guy since Luck, since Manning, since Elway. There were people who put Zach Wilson above him. There were people who put Fields above him. There were people who put Fields above him. Now, there's there's enough people ranking things right, right now that you could find anybody with any kind of take, right? Sure. There was Zach Wilson in the fourth round takes. but <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it, right, of course. So there will be people that have Drake May over Caleb Williams. So that's the other thing at play here. Like if, say, the Bears have the number one overall pick, Williams will know if he's their guy. Right. But there's a chance that he's not. Like, there's a chance that Drake May's the guy and that Caleb Williams could go to Arizona or to uh, the Giants or to the Patriots or whoever else is, you know, next up with, mm -hmm. on those picks there. So, I, I don't know. I guess there's, there's more of a chance that a quarterback might go back to school now because yeah. of NIL, yes. And I think one, I mean, whatever about Caleb Williams, I'm, I, at this point I'm kind of expecting Shadur Sanders to go back to college. Like between his NIL, which apparently is the most of any player in college football, uh, and the fact that, you know, 
Deion Sanders, Shadur Sanders, Shiloh Sanders, or the yeah. Sanderses, is, is, and the rest of that team are in year one at Colorado right now. And Caleb Williams is presumed to be the number one overall pick, et cetera. It sort of feels like that just makes all the sense in the world to go back and then next year aim at being the number one overall pick in addition to Colorado maybe going on a bigger run <clears throat> and knocking off some good teams and maybe, you know, actually challenging for something. Like, that makes more sense to me than come out this year yeah. and be, you know, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth quarterback taken and whatever. It, it looks like a potentially loaded QB class. I don't know if there's a whole bunch of elite prospects but there's a whole bunch of starting caliber prospects i think you've got caleb williams and drake may who can be elite prospects and then a bunch of other guys that could be qb3 i have to go on uh, uh renner's got a new podcast i saw that i'm joining him this afternoon mm. to rank the qbs you've been, you're going on somebody else was it trevor went on yeah previously he had austin yeah on there. <coughs> austin was the first person obviously it's just like the you know might as well just be a PFF podcast. Yeah. And yet, runner. nobody's reached out to me. Well, soon. I'm curious. You're next. Hmm. You want me to text Mike right now? See if he'll, no, not see at if all. he'll get you on the show. Not at all. I just think it's funny. He, I'm like, how long do you need? He said 15 to 20 minutes. I'm, I'm like, That'll, I'll, I'll talk about Caleb Williams and NIL for 15 to yeah, 20 minutes. How am I going to rank <clears> five QBs? That's, that's one answer. Yeah. <laughs> which just which sounds like Renner's perfect podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I asked one question, Steve talks for 15 minutes and we're out. It was, the whole cadence when he was on the show was hilarious cuz I'd ask him a question and then, you know, when I ask you a question, I you know, I start to <laughs> stretch it out, you know, let's surf Twitter a little bit, think about the next thing I'm going to say, listen to you a little bit, and then Renner would just give me like a quick answer and throw it back to me and I'm like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to talk again. He's got to ramble like us. Mm. Got to learn. Then he'll be up for some awards someday. Yeah. Do some more rambling. He'll be invited to apply for the podcast awards. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Uh, no, other than, I mean, I do think that it's a live possibility that if you look, if you're Caleb Williams, you know, assuming your draft stock doesn't tank between now and, and when, it, when you have to decide, and you look at the, the draft order and you just decide top team at the top of the draft, that's not a good situation for me to go to. Like, I'm not, this can sink my career. <clears throat> I think there's a good chance that he would go back. Like, take a look at the landscape and go, not a chance. If that, that team is picking number one, I'm going back to school. The Bears thing will be interesting because they could go Caleb Williams and then we'll have a great – well, it'll be a Jamar Chase, Panay Sewell-like debate right. between Marvin Harrison and Olu Fashanu if you want the pass-protecting left tackle or do you want – maybe the best wide receiver prospect since Jamar Chase. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a fun debate. It's going to be a fun I time. I just saw this weekend, and it, like, right alongside is Caleb Williams really the guy after one stinking game. Um, people are starting to ask, is Keon Coleman able to put himself in the Marvin Harrison Jr. conversation? And I got to say, I'm here for that discussion. You are. I am. I know you're not as sold for Marvin, on <coughs> Marvin Harrison Jr. as like the elite of the elite. Process. Yeah, I mean, I like him a lot. I think he probably is the best receiver in this class. I'm not quite ready to put him in that category of like, you know, all like generational wide receiver prospect. And Keon Collins got some pretty special skills. Yeah, no, he's looking good. He's moving up. I think he, uh, PFF draft board just dropped today by Trevor. I think he's made the top 12. Keon Coleman, he continues to move up. The PFF NFL podcast brought to you by Prize Picks. So. Our friends over at Prize Picks. We have our own picks. PFF, Prize Picks, our lineup for Sunday. We got Patrick Mahomes going more 
than 295 and a half yards against the Chargers. We have DK Metcalf going more than 67 and a half receiving yards against the Cardinals. And we have Jared Goff going more, I thought it said less initially, but more than 243 and a half passing yards it did against say less initially. the Ravens. It did say less initially it but says my, less on the picture yeah. that i'm looking at i think it is less there so we're going we're going less than the 243 and a half for jared goff against a good ravens defense so what is prize picks well it's a skill-based real money daily fantasy sports game how does it work you pick two to six players like we just did and if they'll go more or less than their prize picks projection you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry prize picks adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience watch your progress in real time win up to 25 times your entry amount and cash out your winnings with quick scoring set it, settling and withdrawals at prize picks you're not competing against other people it's just you against the projections and the entries can be made in 60 seconds or less it's that easy prize picks offers frequent discounts bonuses and other exciting offers so go check it out you can even get in-game projections after a game has started which includes halves quarters periods and more so go to prizepicks.com slash pffnfl that's code pffnfl for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars again prizepicks.com slash pffnfl use the code pffnfl and you get a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars all right man we're halfway in half about almost a half hour into the show we've answered a question good job yeah we have right yeah mm. we have and we, we read another email as well we, we did. did we've yes. done a lot of things uh would you like another question yeah i'm ready this one is from benjamin atiwu uh, hey, Sam and Steve, you guys have talked in the past about how, a bad about how bad a situation has to be before you should avoid playing a rookie quarterback due to the damage it could cause. I was wondering how experienced a quarterback needs to be before you stop worrying about him getting broken by a bad situation. Right now, Mac Jones looks like a broken shell of himself. I think that over the last year and a half, the situation around him, both players and coaches, has been so bad that he's lost all faith in himself and everyone else. Curious to hear what you guys think. Ben O. <sighs> ben O. I might o. sound harsh here. Yeah. So I, there, I think there is a world where the initial look at a quarterback, if you're in a terrible situation, could, could hinder their development, right? We talked about this with Justin Fields a couple of years ago. Bears O-line's bad. Nobody to throw to. Could hinder the development. Mm -hmm. There's also a point where in year three with Mac Jones, and if you're – even if you're putting that guy into a bad situation, like if you're the Patriots, year three of Mac Jones, it doesn't matter if he's broken. You need to move on. You almost certainly need to move on at this point, in my opinion, because I don't think the upside is there, right? So if you're in year three, the other way of looking at it is he's on his third offensive coordinator, not all his faults, but his third offensive coordinator. His best success was in his first 10 games of his rookie season, which is crazy. And he's faced some adversity, and you haven't seen success. And, and the adversity is, again, have the Patriots done a good job putting a team around him? Not really, no. But Not at all. But it's okay to – but like, I think in year three, it's okay to move on because before – like next offseason, they have to make a decision on his fifth-year option. And so there's almost no world where you're like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, back. the Mac Jones thing, I, I it's it, – I wouldn't get bogged down in that in terms of this question. I'm more sort of interested in the overall concept, which is, is it possible to permanently damage a, a more established veteran quarterback? Because that's the thing, right? We're like, don't, don't put the rookie out there if the situation is so bad that you're actually going to damage him going forward and break the guy. The question is, like, if you take 
you know, whoever it is, like whoever is your... You could say Jared Goff. I mean, yeah. Jared Goff so had, if you, had years like that. Well, let's say you take him now. So Jared Goff has the, had that weird roller coaster of a career in Los Angeles. Now, <clears throat> current Jared Goff is the best version of Jared Goff that's been in the NFL, right? He's... The, the numbers he's posting right now are as good as he's ever seen across the board. Almost every single number is the best we've seen from him. And right now, he's the highest-graded quarterback we have. Quietly, Jared Goff was putting together an MVP candidate season. He is. And nobody's talking about it. Very right? quietly. In addition to the Lions are good, so it might actually become a thing if they keep winning games, right? But, like, we're, what, week six heading into week seven? Nobody's talking about that right now. And – that's probably going to be a thing that picks up steam. Anyway, what if you took this version of Jared Goff, right, and dropped him onto a terrible situation franchise? Like, are you going to – can you permanently break him from where he is now because the situation goes from being good to being atrocious? I, I don't think so. I don't think – and even when we talk about rookies, we're just kind of theorizing because the, the QB right. like if David Carr <clears throat> was broken by taking 76 sacks or whatever yes. that year – it doesn't we don't know if having a if good offensive good. line or a good situation means he would have been good right. right we don't know that at all we're just kind of theorizing you're just you're giving the guy zero you never chance. get you never get the ab analysis right? right you only get one or the other yes you, and you have to suppose what the alternative looks like the whole thing is based off conjecture but i do think as you point out it is conjecture it is guesswork but i from just watching it it felt like the texans broke david carr yeah and i hear he you. had no shot at, at that point of coming good because he was permanently damaged. Now I don't think you can break a veteran. Well, I, think I also you can, they think can go through slumps. Yeah, but I also I also wonder if if it is a permanent thing or if it's simply you're broken to the point where you now need like to be rebuilt from scratch and that requires like you know a year, two years on the sideline, and then you tend not to get the old. Like was Geno Smith broken, and then what Geno Smith needed was several years on the sideline. To like rebuild himself, and then yeah. now you get a second shot years down the line. It's like, ah, oh, Gino's back. Like we we fixed him. The way you 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 asked that as a question a few shows ago, or whatever. Like when did Gino Smith get better? Yeah, because he's he's better. Right, he was in 2014, but we don't know if it was as a backup in 2018 or yeah. 2020. So like, if David Carr had sort of sat for a couple of years rebuilding himself on somebody's sideline as a backup quarterback, and he kind of did, right? And he was with the Giants and stuff. Like yep. he bounced around. But like, if David Carr had then gotten another shot to start down the line in a situation that wasn't a disaster. Could David Carr have actually been rebuilt? Like, is it a permanent thing, or is it simply uh, a transient, temporary status? But the quarterback never gets the shot again because it was such a disaster when they melted down. Yeah, I, those those are they're tough questions. I mean, to the initial question, I don't I don't think you get a veteran and you just ruin him for a couple years. I mean, you might ruin him in that situation, right? right? When you put a a, a mid tier quarterback or whatever. In a bad situation, you probably get bad results. Most of the time, you're going to get bad but results. Soon, like the Aaron Rodgers thing, right? As soon as you give him his receivers back again, you get good Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I mean, we've seen this before. Like, we've seen – we had – Brady had dips and then came back, and Jared Goff has had dips and come back, and Rodgers has had dips and come back. Mahomes even had a, a dip in 2021 and came back. It wasn't because the situation was horrible or anything, but, like, guys have had dips and – And his dip was still as back. good as, like, most quarterbacks Yeah, and it was still history. fine. <laughs> I mean, that's – so, yeah. I don't think so. My answer. Okay. All right. Oh no. That was, that, was, that. that was a Renner answer. Yeah. Just no. No. I'm out. Next question, please. 
I forget what I was listening to. Something, uh, it was like a parliamentary inquiry or something. They asked this guy about something. You know, the way politicians, like, they'll have an answer for anything. It doesn't matter what you ask them. They'll, yeah. you know, it's part of their gig, right? He literally replied that, uh, I have no opinion on this subject one way or the other. That's great. It's like, that's phenomenal. It's a good answer. <laughs> I respect need, that answer a lot. Yeah, we need more of that. Yeah. It feels like you might, you, you know, maybe you should have, but he didn't, and <laughs> right. he just answered it. I'm like, you might I, want to research right. it further. <laughs> I respect that as an answer, if nothing else. Uh, news. The Philadelphia Eagles have signed Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame receiver Julio Jones. Yeah, this is – I wasn't expecting that. Interesting. Mm. Um, I'm A lot of connections within that receiver room to Julio Jones. Yeah. You've got – A.J. Brown, who was with him on the Titans, uh, and I believe lobbied for him to join Tennessee when that happened, right? Yep. You've got Zacchaeus, who was with him in Atlanta, and then you've got Devontae Smith, who obviously has the alma mater, Alabama connection. I'm sure they know each other, you know, just through the nature of the way that kind of thing works, even if obviously they didn't overlap or anything. I am uh, usually all in favor of shiny object signings. Hmm. Shiny object, don't, it's, it's Julio Jones. Don't care if he's 50. Julio Jones. <laughs> Never know. Uh-huh. Um, I think the, the key is expectations. So if, you know, if, if old takes exposed really wanted to get me, they'd probably go back and say, look at Steve's take on uh, the Titans trade. Loved it. Probably loved the Titans trade at the time. Sure, I did. Second rounder for Julio Jones, of course. Love the Bucks picking up Julio Jones. Yeah, add him to the mix. Why not? Um, and I'm going to say I probably... My expectations are much lower, but why not if you're the Eagles? And then it comes down to expectations and usage. Like, clearly he's not going to be stealing targets from A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith. But even last year with the Bucks, where Julio Jones looked like he had lost a step, every time he ran fast, you were worried he was going to pull up with a hamstring. Like, mm-hmm. that, was, that was true. <clears throat> what can you do with Julio Jones as your receiver three and a half? Run him deep, right? Be, let him be the... The thing I love, wide receiver four, who's a deep threat. Let Julio Jones, who's still fast. It's just a matter of, like, when he runs 40 yards, will he be able to do it again? That's the biggest question when he, at a 34-year-old Julio Jones. So I love all those moves. Low risk, high upside, you know, catch a few deep passes here and there. You don't need to be a high-volume possession guy later. You don't need to do much. Create some big plays for the Eagles. Be there. When teams are taking away A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, the run game, be there to create some big plays here and there. Julio Jones is still probably capable of that as long as he stays healthy. Maybe. I tend to think of, you know, veteran signings at this point in the season. If it's not like because there's a, a, an acute area of need, the Giants signing Justin Pugh off the couch, right? Yeah. If it's not that. I tend to think that a signing of a, a veteran name at this point in the season <coughs> is basically just a like kick the tires type of deal, right? Like, in when, depth. When, it adds depth. It adds a little bit of insurance if there's injuries. Maybe, but I tend to think of it more as like, let's kick the tires on Julio and see if there's still anything there, and the chances are there probably isn't, which is why he's sitting there on the street in October, right? But like the Vikings signed Dalton Reiser. Everyone's like, ah, greatest addition you could have. Off uh, The offensive line's fixed. It's like, he's not, no. Like, there's a reason he's not available. Like, he's available in October when – there's a league in offensive line crisis, and everyone has still looked at this guy and gone, yeah, not really. So it sounds like it's a great move because you, you know the name, you know the pedigree, the, the previous uh, draft status or whatever, and you're like – Future Hall of Famer. Right. 
And it's like, yeah, but he's not that guy anymore. I'm always sure. sold. I'm always, I'm always in on it. Yeah, like it's worth, it's worth kicking the tires, yeah. but I would imagine, like your expectation should be that this has literally no impact whatsoever on the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, I set, the, I set them low. I just said, you know, catch a couple bombs here and there. Catch a couple back shoulders I mean, That's here quite an impact. It is. Like, for example, Quez Watkins, who, you know, is on this team, or Zacchaeus, who we talked about, each one of those guys has been on the team for, you know, the entire season or whatever, and combined they have eight catches total, and none of them have been bombs. Yeah. So, I mean, like, if, <laughs> if you're thinking about this of he's going to come in, he's going to catch a few bombs here or there, like he's, if he catches a few passes here or there, it's if, probably exceeded my expectations. If it was any other big-bodied, older receiver, you'd say, well, maybe just use him as a red zone threat. Mm. But it's Julio Jones. Who's, yeah. Who's even, never been a red zone threat. Even in the prime of his Hall of Fame career. How has he never been a red zone threat? One of life's biggest mysteries. We need a 30 for 30 on Julio Jones' low touchdown totals. I uh, remember last year at the t- uh, or whatever, last year during the season. Particularly, by the way, when there are plays in there where it's like this is one of the greatest red zone plays of all time. Like, remember he went and mossed Malcolm Butler and just like ripped the ball out from over his head, turned, got both feet down, like ball stuck to his hands in the corner of the end zone. You're like, there's like a handful of players in NFL history that can make that play. How do you not have 100 touchdowns? It's crazy. I don't, I don't understand it. No. Uh, last year, the Eagles made uh, need-based veteran moves. Remember, they brought in Linval Joseph and Indomitian Sue to mm-hmm. shore up their run defense when they had some injuries up front. Um, so this is a common move for Howie Roseman and the Eagles. To your point, though, it's not a direct need. It is a kick the tires and, right. and let's see. I mean, run him as a decoy every now and again. Maybe the defenses are still afraid of him. Who knows? Yeah. And as I say, I'm all for it. I just, my expectations would be that this literally has no impact whatsoever. Mine are low, but I'm expecting great things. <laughs> low expectations, but expecting big things. That, that sounds, sounds like a contradiction. Might be. Specifically because of using the term expecting, you know? Yeah. How do you use another word? Maybe you could have gotten away with it in semantic terms, but uh, with using the exact same word, I think it's tricky. Yeah, I'll remember a better way to say it at some point. Mm. Think about it. All right, good news. Are there any other news? Uh, people wanted us to talk about uh, Roger Goodell signing a big contract. Somebody was pointing out in the chat, I think, that Rog is on his way to becoming a billionaire out of yeah. this. The man's been in the job so long and has, has such a large paycheck at the end of the day that you, know, you start stacking 40, 50, 60, 70 million dollars a year on top of each other, and sooner or later you get to the billion, you yeah. get to the big B. You're assuming he hasn't spent any of that money. Those are just earnings. No, I'm not assuming he hasn't spent any of it. I'm assuming he hasn't spent enough to make a dent in it that it's going to stop him becoming a billionaire. So Raj is going to go from a guy that you don't care much about to uh, a hero. Billion. Well, I need him to do something with the billion. Like, just getting to the billion level is it's the important first step, right? It's the, the first sure. billion is the hardest. But once you get to the billion, now I need you to start throwing the money and or the weight around. Throw it on black, make it two. There you go. And then you start buying teams. Then you Invested start buying. Team, well, right? I don't know if you get a team with $2 billion these days. No, that's true. It's kind of low. Our next partner is AG1. Going to tell you about our friends over there. It's how I kick off my day, drink my AG1 in the morning with my coffee. Makes me feel unstoppable, ready to go for the day. Giving my body the nutrition that it craves. All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. And a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them also drink AG1, and that's why I'm a huge fan. With each daily serving, I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me the key daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. 
It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and it helps just about everybody take care of their health every single day. So that's what we do here on the PFF NFL podcast. You just mix one small scoop with water, drink it first thing every morning, and you are good. Also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good, if you ask me. It's this really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients that's a win-win for all of us. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Check it out right now. All right, man, what else we got here? You want to do your explain the grade? All right, let's do the explain the grade. Do we have a graphic for that? We have a transition. Yeah, here we go. Um, I'm sure PSF will have me a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. Boom. Just some pros in the booth over there. They knew. They knew. They knew. Um, Why do I ask? I shouldn't ask. They know. So, uh, okay, the way this is being asked in various places is the Browns had an amazing defensive performance. They got one of the best defenses in the NFL, in NFL history. They just stomped the unstoppable 49ers held them to nothing, and their grades were middling. Justify yourself, Palazzolo. So I did a little research on this one yesterday for reasons. Mm. Um, So a big part of it, I don't want to sound – people are going to be upset with this. Yes. I think. That's the way these normally work. Browns fans in particular. So I'm going to – as a, be long-winded and, and try to set this up, okay? <laughs> waffle and try and deflect. The Browns defense has the best numbers in the NFL this season. Yep. EPA per play and all of it's great, which is awesome, and it's been impressive. They are the most improved defense in the league. All of that's real and true. Pass rush, they're playing tough man coverage and everything. The 49ers obviously had one of the best offenses in the league, right? Probably the second best behind the Dolphins coming into this game. Um None of the, neither of those two things matter in this following explanation, right? So the fact that, and I'll explain why, but like the fact that the Niners had been so prolific previously, the way I'm going to explain it, doesn't necessarily have bearing on how impressive the performance was from a statistical standpoint mm-hmm. because of the reasons I'm going to cite that people are going to say it's all what ifs and it's, I'm going to just paint a picture here. Um, so overall, I thought the Browns defense did play well. They did play good team defense. I also think this was an example of the offense had – look at the picture, by the way. The, the offense the had – that is awesome. Look at you at the chalkboard. Um, this was an example in this one-game setting where the offense had as much to do, if not more, for the, the stats. Are you trying to take a picture of that? What I'm going to take a picture of it and complain about being victimized, bullied on my own show. The funny thing is I'm the one doing the teaching right now. I know. You're the one in front of the board with the equation. Oh, I forgot my phone restarted. You're killing my, my flow here. Well, I keep flowing. I'm, I'm simply sitting quietly taking a photograph of my, the Photoshop hit work that's been done. All right. So I just so the, the Niners drop back to pass 36 times. I'm going to highlight seven plays that I think – change the perception of this game okay seven simple plays i don't have to go through all of them but uh the niners finished with um 120 passing yards or whatever it was like the numbers were horrible right but there's seven plays that completely changed the perception there we have christian mccaffrey there was a holding penalty on christian mccaffrey who whooped uh was it well i don't think it was delpit 
whoever it was at the time. And McCaffrey's wide open for what should have been a 55-yard touchdown, and Purdy missed him. There was a holding that probably affected the timing, but it was busted coverage, basically. It would have been a 55-yard touchdown. There, uh, Brock Purdy's interception, I would consider an unforced error. There was no pressure in the pocket. He has a dig route that is open, and Purdy just missed it. He also, remember, like Brock Purdy just threw the ball out of his hand. Like, just dropped it. You know, he did just drop the, the ball one time, like, too. The rain. I didn't add that as one of the plays. Yeah. That's not even one of the seven. No, but, like, it's, it was wet. There was rain. There was, yeah. therefore, a consequential lack of execution from the 49ers offense. Yeah. So I'm just trying to paint a picture here. The interception was not a good defensive play. I mean, the fact that the guy caught it. And right. so let me reword this. Yes. The fact that it was caught was good. There is no – the defense did not create the opportunity for the interception. Brock Purdy did. The result of the play was disproportionately um, good relative to the quality of the defensive play that there happened. You like, you know, had the guy forced an, an error, you know, made an amazing defensive play and picked it off, that's a better graded defensive play than a guy simply being in the right place at the right time and taking advantage of a mistake from the offense. Before, you start, really before you start yelling at me that an interception is not a good defensive play, Yes. Brock Purdy in a clean pocket – with an open receiver on a dig route, threw it five feet behind the receiver right to the defensive, to the defensive player. That plays more on the offense. Right. On top of, so those are the two most, the biggest ones, right? Other than that, there was also a 14-yard crosser, Purdy misses Ayuk. Corner route, 15 to 20-yard gain probably there. Uh, Purdy misses that one. There's a seven-yard out for a potential first down on the game-winning, potential game-winning drive. Purdy misses that. You also have Brandon Ayuk with a drop on a post 31 yard post route Denzel Ward kind of had his hand on him I don't think it really it hit Ayuk in the hands right that's a catchable pass right and then Ayuk uh, dropped another one that should have been a first down 10 yard dig route um, so I'm going to do the bare minimum on just those seven passes and say what if there was no yak on any of those plays except the McCaffrey one that was pretty clear he, if he if that pass is hit that's a 55 yard touchdown let's just flip seven plays <laughs> with that the the Browns didn't necessarily have an impact on. They did not you know, break up the pass, they were not in tight coverage, and they were not necessarily creating pressure. These are either misthrows or drops. And Brock Purdy's stat line goes from, he finished 12 for 27 for 125, one touchdown, one interception. If you flip those seven plays and just say the Niners executed, they made the throw or they made the catch, or both, well, both. And all of a sudden Purdy's 19 for 27, for 275, two touchdowns instead of one, no interceptions instead of one. And clearly we're not having this conversation. Right. Right. So that's just how I want it. Like these seven plays that I don't believe had anything to do with great defense by the Browns, seven plays completely changed perception. Even if you flipped three or four of them, depending on which ones they are, it changes perception as well. Right. Right. So it doesn't take away from the other. Like there were other very good plays by the Browns defense, right? They made some great tight window, uh, great plays in coverage. They rushed the passer pretty well. They rushed the, rushed the passer really well, really, really well. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't take any of that stuff away, but it just kind of paints this picture of how in this particular game, I think the offense was as much to blame. And if you want to say it was the weather and the rain, whatever, but the offense had as much to do with the bad performance as the Browns defense. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to is, in a nutshell, the grading, the, the, the results um, are always dependent on the defense performance, but they're also dependent on offensive execution, right? And this is why 
that hyperbole, you know, buzzword that analytics guys were pushing of defense doesn't matter, right? What they're saying is defense is effectively dependent on the execution of the offense, right? And no matter how good your defense is, if the offense executes, you're going to look bad. Um, And we know this intuitively, like the the perfect pass and the perfect catch beat the perfect coverage every time. They just do, right? Even if you're all over a dude, there's a spot that the ball can be put, that the receiver can get a hand to it, that the DB can't. And if he hits that, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, So you're always essentially at the mercy of how good the execution of the opposing offense is. And usually that works against you. Like, even if you're playing well, the offense executes and you do really well. Or you do your results are bad, right? Your good defense can get lit up by a good offense executing really well. But it also works the other way where if the offense doesn't execute, the defense can look really, really, really good um, from a result standpoint without actually being really, really, really good in that individual game. Now, again... I would separate individual game versus Brown's defense generally. I think it is an exceptionally good defense. Having said that, in this game, there was a ton of plays that the 49ers could have made and didn't. And it wasn't that they didn't because the Browns forced them into all these mistakes. They just missed the plays. Brock Purdy had a deep bomb to Brandon Ayuk where they dialed up the play to beat the defense that was called, right? They ran like a cover zero thing. Uh, The safety came down to jump on somebody and backside one-on-one receiver versus corner and he just missed the throw right it was a jimmy garoppolo in the super bowl throw right it was a game changing throw he just airmailed it he missed him by you know several yards over the top that's not a defensive performance you know forcing an error that's just purdy missed the play right, right. if purdy hits that it's completely different and that's one of those many plays again the force the, the not the force fumble the <laughs> it's wet so he just loop loop ball gone that's not a defensive performance, but it's a fumble, it's a turnover. It's, you know, it's the, the ball bouncing in your direction in, in some way that you had no, no, uh, no impact on. And, and that's why I was trying to make the point that previous performance by the 49ers offense doesn't matter in this case. Right. Right. Like the fact that they had open throws or they had on target throws that were dropped. It doesn't matter that Brock Purdy was coming into the game with a 115 passer rating and that they had the second best offense. Like, that doesn't matter through this lens. In this very game, they missed those throws or they missed those plays, right, that weren't necessarily the, the cause of the defense. And again, and it doesn't matter that the Browns came in as the best defense in the league. It doesn't mean that, well, since they held the 49ers to, you know, no yards and points, that it was all them, right? Mm-hmm. There, was, uh, there was a lot of blame to go to the offense right so that's the nature of it there's also I think a lot of times we we have kind of like high level theories or whatever hey the you know run blocking is the most important thing for a running back I mean over time it is but in a one game sample it could be the run blocking was terrible and the running back was outstanding like that it that can exist and we we do have a more you know a bigger theory that the you know how the quarterback plays dictates defensive performance more than the actual defensive performance over time. And when you look at the the breakdown of the grades in this particular game, you can sort of start to see how these bits and pieces, how the the pieces of the puzzle connect and actually make that overall picture make sense, right? So there were some outstanding grades on the Browns' defense. JOK had a phenomenal game, right? 91.3 PFF grade, made a ton of plays, um, 
you know, had some really impressive performances. Dalvin Tomlinson had a great grade. He had a sequence where he was in the backfield, like three or four snaps in a row, just dominating. Uh, Okoronkwo, even though some of his stuff was unblocked, he had a really good game as well. Miles Garrett had a good grade, blah, blah, blah. So a lot of defensive front front four type guys grading really well, right? And JOK, who was all over the place. Um, some of the bad grades are Grant Delpit, uh, Martin Emerson, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, secondary guys, right? And we sort of had the flip side of this conversation uh, with the Giants, which is or, you know, so a couple other teams where it doesn't really matter how good you're, Washington had this as well, where it doesn't really matter how well your front four is playing if your back seven is giving up an easy play every time. But if the offense doesn't execute when they're giving up those plays, it doesn't matter. And now you do start to notice the defensive line because the offense isn't getting the plays that are actually there from the back four or the back seven who aren't grading well, right? It's the same idea. It's like, imagine if that Chicago versus Washington game a couple of weeks ago, the one where DJ Moore went for like 300 yards or whatever. Imagine if every time they took a shot to DJ Moore, they missed, right? And now you're like, okay, Washington's defensive line is playing amazingly well. The back seven is playing like crap, but... Actually, none of the passes have been complete. So when you start looking at the numbers, it's like, wow, this defense has held Chicago to 125 yards in the game. It's like, but the, the performance was the same. So it's entirely down to whether the offense actually takes advantage of the opportunities you're giving them and grading those opportunities. And that's how some of those guys in the back end end up with a worse grade than you would imagine they should based off the numbers. Um, the one other thing I wanted to highlight, those are all good points. One other thing I wanted to highlight, because we had questions on Grant Delpit, and it's in the chat as well. He did do a great job, you know, like away from the ball uh, covering, right? You didn't hear George Kittle is what was said in the right. chat. Didn't hear George Kittle's name, which is true. Um, we're also grading plays where a guy is not, like, not just how they do in coverage um, or not just how they do uh, covering the route, right? Uh, McCaffrey shovel, touchdown, Delpit, over-pursued. On that particular play, he had a holding penalty in there. When he was targeted, it was a first down. Um, and on the IU 25-yard reception, that set everybody up. There was a lot of a lot of Browns kind of out of position on that particular play too. So, you know, we're we're looking at everything, right? Not just how well did you cover the route, what did you do at the catch point. It's plays where you're not targeted that are in there as well, and that's where Delpit ended up getting some of his downgrades as well. Played well against the run, graded well there, but some other downgrades in there. Not so. hearing from George Kittle is also not necessarily a reflection of the defense. I mean, there's been plenty of games over the last couple of years where George Kittle has done nothing because the 49ers offense just goes in a different direction. Like it's Also, not. Walt, like, dude, did you just hear everything we just said? Why? Why would you? Why? Because he's just, it's an idiotic comment. Brock Purdy had only 12 completed passes. Maybe evaluate your grading system. We just explained it. Purdy missed five open throws. They were open. He missed it. Purdy was bad. Purdy was bad. Yeah. And when he did make good throws, Ayuk dropped two two passes for fifty yards. It completely changes the perception. Yeah. I mean, completely I didn't. Changes everything. I didn't run these numbers, but um, how many of the incompletions were not defensive forced relative to like normal? Right. How many of them were basically offensive execution failures? Either the receiver letting like the incompletion. Reason, receiver error of some description, or quarterback error of some description. I, most of them, I would imagine. I just counted. I, I just highlighted seven that were egregious, right? And the the seven that were 
egregious that were that were by the offense. Like I said, moves Purdy to 19 for 27 passing. There was other overthrows where there was also tight coverage. We cre- you know, it was a bad throw, and we credited the defense, right? Those, the ones that were just clear as day, like open throws right. that were missed or open throws that were dropped. Seven. So you go from 12 to 19 completions out of 27 attempts. 19 for 27. Um, and as you mentioned, he just dropped the ball on one. I mean, Purdy was bad. He graded at 41. The Browns deserve some of that credit, and Brock Purdy also deserves some of the blame. So that would be... The explanation. Mm-hmm. There you go. I think we nailed it. Yeah. People oh, yeah. Are, people are still going to be mad. Everyone's certainly going to be be cool with that. Not a problem. We got anything else? No, I don't think so. For today? I think we're out. Under an hour yeah. on our show here? It's quick. Simple. Easy. Um, speaking of explain the grade. Yeah. There was, you know, if people want to go to my Twitter, there's more grade explanations there. Okay. At PFF underscore Steve. Uh, Commanders fans are trying to, they're trying to reconcile some things. How is Sam Howell? We've talked about this a little bit. How is Sam Howell on pace to get sacked more than any other quarterback <laughs> in NFL history? And let's see where the pass block grade is now for the Commanders. Not bad. The Commanders are now up to eighth best pass blocking grade in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go through my Twitter timeline, there is a perfect example. I know we talked about this on the Monday show just a little bit. Your friend Bud Dupree <clears throat> gets blocked past the quarterback, right, by left tackle Cornelius Lucas. We had Cornelius Lucas with zero sacks allowed in the game. But the guy that he was blocking, Bud Dupree, ends up with a sack on the play. How did that happen? Well, Sam Howell leaves a clean pocket, runs to the area where the left tackle aligns before the snap, which is not the place where the left tackle is blocking four they're trying to block for a pocket so he tries to scramble whatever he does bud dupree reads it runs upfield and, and sacks sam howell which bud dupree is really good at that's his best skill is uh not necessarily winning blocks but he's really good at cleanup sacks and pursuit and playing hard and motor um so that is a that is a perfect example of a sack that is completely on the quarterback it's not on the offensive line it's not on the pass blocking and there's a lot of those for sam howell you know in addition to when the offensive line does give up pressure, it also usually turned into a sack. So you've got two things here. You have Sam Howell running into sacks on his own. And then you also have, when the offensive line loses, most of the time, or at a higher percentage than everyone else, they don't become, it doesn't become a hurry. It doesn't become <coughs> just a QB hit. It becomes a sack. So both of those things are working against Sam Howell right now, which are mostly a him thing. He's got the highest percentage of pressure that turns into sack, 33.7%, right? But he is not how, – how, he also is – yeah, he's been – he's faced a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. But a lot Which of it's – a lot on him. Him holding the ball at 3.38 seconds per drop back. I mean, there's a lot of things that are the quarterback. But I mean, as we said the other day, when he throws the ball, it is awesome. And so, if he could figure out how to cut down on the negative plays, Washington has something there. Yeah, I mean, even just looking at – pressure and sacks specifically charged to the quarterback right he has been 13 of his sacks have been charged to him this season which is almost double the second highest player in the nfl which is justin fields i think the record is like 18 in a season so he's on pace to like obliterate the record for like most sacks charged to a quarterback the he's been charged individually for 87 of their pressures total pressures 87 how many 
87. Oh, no, sorry, that's not being charged. That's uh, the pressured dropbacks, the most pressured. Oh, okay. okay. He's being charged for 21 of those 87, uh, and 13 of them are sacks. So, I mean, he's been this guy. Like, every single year in college and in the NFL and across three, at least three different offenses at this point, Sam Howell has been, like, the most sacked quarterback in the world. That's not a pass protection problem. That's This is Sam Howell. Like, this is part of his game is the dude is a walking sack magnet. Yeah, so I, I would just go check out my Twitter timeline. You know, give me those uh, impressions and sure. stuff, right? But just go check it out because it's a good – it's just a good example, right? You want more more uh, bonus question before we leave? Somebody yeah. pitched this towards us. I can't remember where, so apologies for forgetting your name. But somebody mentioned that the uh, the late Dr. Eric Eager, formerly of PFF, now of the Sumer Sports Show, uh, effectively suggested this concept of because of the player because of players like Sam Howell, right? And the fact the quarterback is essentially the guy that controls pressure and sacks and all this kind of thing. What you want to do from a team-building point of view is find a quarterback that takes an abnormally low volume of sacks, right? A guy that's like on the Dan Marino side of the spectrum of never getting sacked and target offensive linemen who specialize in run blocking and are effectively better at run blocking than pass protection, which is the opposite way I think most people do things now. Essentially saying that quarterback is the driver here right so if a quarterback is unusually good at that you can afford to target guys that are unusually bad at that but good at something else and you have an overall edge thoughts that was eric's theory was to do that yes he i think that was his suggestion of what teams should be doing now yeah i disagree um i think i'll, I'll talk to eric offline <laughs> i think as a, an analytics community sometimes people who are I think sometimes we latch on to one or two things rather than taking a holistic approach, Okay. right? So historically, we, we've done this through the years. It's like, well, don't look at pressure grade, look at clean pocket grade, right? It's better. And we just, that's the thing. And I, I think a lot of people are now latching on to just sack rate. That's it. That's the thing. Lock, you know, just yeah, Anthony Richardson's going to be the best QB in the draft just because of sack rate. Mm-hmm. That's it. And not looking at other things. Uh, but Jared Goff is actually a great example for all this, right? We've talked about Goff a couple times here. Jared Goff is really good at not taking sacks. He is really good at this pressure to sack rate. He is he's he was number two in the league last year, lowest percentage, right behind Mahomes, lowest percentage of pressures that turned into sacks. Goff is great at that, but you still don't want him playing under pressure just because he's good at avoiding sacks. You don't want to live in a world where your quarterback's under pressure, so you don't. Like, it's, it's cool that you have a guy that doesn't take negative plays, but it's not fun if they're under pressure 35% of the time still. Or even a guy that prevents pressure, you, like, you still have to hit throws. Like, the accuracy stuff still matters. So my suggestion is it's not it's never lean on one or two numbers. You can never just say, well, I want this number over that number. Therefore, I'm going to order this Richardson and then next guy, next guy. Because Richardson was great at this number, mm-hmm. Anthony Richardson. Um, so... I disagree with that premise because I think it relies too much on one factor when I think all of it needs to be taken into account. The same way, um, as someone else mentions in the chat, like Joe Burrow got sacked a ton, right? Your slider thing, right? Joe Burrow got sacked a ton and they went to the Super Bowl. That's because Joe Burrow throwing the ball was at 100 in the slider that year. Accuracy to all levels, he was unbelievable 
if he got sacked four or five times a game, he offset it. Sam Howell's throw slider isn't that high yet. It's good. He throws the ball pretty well. He's not at Joe Burrow's level. He's not at the point where you can accept those sacks. Well, it goes the other way, too. Well, here's this guy who never gets sacked. Well, he's not throwing the ball well enough. Like, Andy Dalton's been good at this over the last couple of years. Baker Mayfield's been good at this this year. He's not throwing the ball well enough. So you can't just look at one stat and then, you know, build an entire strategy off of that, in my opinion, I think if that was the actual premise. I think Mahomes is an interesting example because he is probably – the greatest quarterback at that in the NFL at avoiding sacks. He's the the new Dan Marino in that in in that sense. The guy does not take sacks um, and is extremely good at avoiding them even when he's pressured. Having said that, when he's pressured this year, his passer rating is 69 and he has one touchdown to three interceptions. Like even if that was your strategy of hey Mahomes is a magician and he is. Uh, and he never takes those negative sack plays. He's, you know, he can make up for this. And we will focus on run blocking on the offensive line because there's an edge to be had there. And we'll live with being a sort of below average unit, therefore, because we have a quarterback that can offset that. I mean, it's it's a pretty big thing to offset. Like he's a, they they focused on pass blocking more than run blocking, and he's still under pressure 33 percent of the time at the moment. And on those plays, his passer rating is 68, 69. So. It's not good Like if that's your strategy, uh, even if you're getting an edge. Like you would need to be getting a huge edge on the run-blocking side of that to offset that 33% of your dropbacks. The quarterback is playing like Blaine Gabbert. So, and, and I, don't, I also don't mean like just get pass-blocking. I, I am of the mind that run-blocking is underrated for offensive linemen. It is an underrated thing because if we're going to say that's the driver for the run game, which right. people still run, you do want your – O-lineman to run block. We're going to have that discussion with uh, Fashnu, you like to call him? Olu Fashnu and Joe Alt next year. It'd come around draft time. We need uh, the, the late doctor needs to model this out, find out where, like how much is each one worth and where's, which is the, where's, where's the tipping point? Why do you need him? I, I'm a model guy. I mean, he has a, a PhD in mathematics. Yeah. You, not so much. He hasn't created a draft model that's going to double your hit rate like I have. I mean, you just put all your effort into that one model. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you have. You just know. tweak it a little bit. <laughs> tweak the draft model for change this. Change the inputs. Okay. Change the inputs. All right. Um, the other thing I want to highlight, right? Like Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz got off to really good starts with outstanding offensive lines, and as the offensive line got worse from a pass pro standpoint, they got worse. Right. Right. So it's not again. It's not just uh, QBs inviting pressure or inviting sacks or whatever. Like you still probably want. A good offensive line, and I think I am, I am of the mind the Burrow, uh, Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase debate. I'm probably leaning closer to the offensive line and pass protection matters more than I would have said three or four years ago. So I've actually gone the other way from what Eric is saying. Um, look at C.J. Stroud this year. You know, names aside, they're pass protecting really well in Houston, and that's giving him an opportunity to succeed. I don't think he's the one necessarily leading to uh you know their pass blocking grades i think they're playing really well in front of them so mm-hmm. that was good i just got your note from earlier oh yeah yeah perfect from 35 minutes ago great nailed that's it. exactly how but i read work. you on here i read you uh-huh. let's talk that was a great shot i think that was fun i don't know if that's worthy of sending in no it's not worthy of sending in it's not a top five minute not moment. a top five no, but you know five we've five. um 
we appreciate everybody. I think if we can if we can snag the uh, the exploding whale segment, I think yeah. that's good. Exploding whale, Chandler Jones. There was somebody, one other. There was somebody mentioned something else. What about your Joe Flacco comment? No, that's, that was just like a one. That was just a rim shot. Um, what was the one? Somebody's mentioned. Somebody said the Fro Show was a good five minutes in the chat early. They yeah. said even an audio, just me laughing at your hair played. Oh, Fro so Show. So if be we good. can find the Fro Show, maybe there's five minutes there. I'm gonna see if there's any other clips. I rarely post clips of the podcast unless I think they're pretty good. So there might be a couple that I put out there the other day. Yeah. So if we can find the clip, anyway, nflpodcast.pff.com. If you have a good suggestion for five minutes, we can submit to the awards people and ideally where the hell it is and how to get to it. What about the time we predicted Baker Mayfield coming off the bench and leading a miraculous win for the Browns? Um, So yeah, let us know if there's anything else that, that comes to mind. All right, that's it for us today. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again tomorrow previewing all the week seven NFL action. 